of what I say and what I preach always from the pulpit. And I believe it's the word that causes us to grow and develop in Christ and develop the image of Christ in us, which is all of our goal in serving God, that Christ in us will shine forth as the light of glory. And that takes the word for that to happen. So having said that, first of all, this will not be a message like I preach Sunday morning. This is a deep, I believe, profound truth of God that I share with you tonight. And in the course of what I say this evening, some of you will disagree with me. That may be true all the time, I don't know. But I'm almost assured it will be true tonight. I, I give you that advance warning. I've preached a number of times and people have come and told me they didn't agree with what I said. And I said, think about it and pray about it and go to the Word. And not always, but most of the time people come back and say, you know, Pastor, the more I've dwelt on that, the more I've thought about that, the more I see, I believe you're right. You may not decide that tonight, but before you go out complaining about it, I hope you will think about it and give it a lot of thought and let it settle in your heart. I'd also recommend to you, <clears throat> when you decide that what I'm saying is something of value to the body of Christ, of powerful value to the body of Christ, that you will go to our website and listen to it again, or if you don't need to listen to it again, at least send it and share it with somebody else. When you find the message on the website, you know, you just a little place that looks like a little page with an arrow sticking up, it says share. You can click on that and it'll give you a chance to put in his email address in there, put the email address in there, it'll go to whoever you share it with. You can send a little note along with it too. I heard this, it helped me, maybe it'll help you, or whatever you want to say about it. And so having said that, I'm tonight going to talk with you from two versions of the Scripture, the English Standard Version and the Amplified Version. I'll switch between the two of them as I go through what I want to share with you. I said that I would give a teaching on 1 John. This is 1 John, but it isn't the entire epistle. I thought I could just hit the highlights of each chapter, but the more I read and read through this week, and the more I'm just kind of absorbed, and I, there's a certain part of this that I want to come to. It's mostly, mostly in uh, chapters 1 and 2. I may refer to some other, other places, but uh, it's important that, uh, that I give you, uh, it's important that I give you the in-depth part of this. And hopefully in giving you this in-depth, you'll, the greater value will be in covering less of the three epistles of John, especially First John, and in, and in covering what I do cover in greater depth. I'm hoping that that's what will be produced from this message tonight. You know, First John is only five chapters. I think if I remember correctly, it's got about 50, 60 verses. All three, all three of these epistles, First John, Second John, Third John, all have just 105 verses in total in all three of the epistles. Five chapters in 1 John, one chapter in 2 John, one chapter in 3 John. Not long, but looking at this, you will see that it is, it is truly, truly quite powerful. And I, I say that without any hesitation. It is truly quite powerful from the Word of God. So, you may not have a Bible that you can flip from English Standard to Amplified, but you if you take any notes, be sure that you mark which scripture you're referring to, whether I'm reading it from the Amplified or the English Standard, ESV or the AMP. 
So here in uh, 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to start chapter 3 and I'm going to go back and begin at the first part of chapter 1. 1 John chapter 3. This is verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now that establishes that this epistle is to the children of God. The sons and daughters of God are the recipients of this epistle, this first one that the Apostle John wrote. Go on down now into verse 8. Check my sound a little bit. If it's a little bit too loud, I think it just needs to be down just a little bit. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we don't want the works of the devil inhabiting our lives or being enacted in our lives. Jesus came and was manifested, the King James says, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, why would he be saying this to people who are already the children of God? I'll say more about that. Verse 10, but by this it is evident who are the, who, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who the children of the devil. You tell the children of God from the children of the devil, John says. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I'll say a little bit more about hating and loving our brothers and sisters as I proceed for this. It's very important that, we, that I establish that for you in the, in the overall context of this message tonight. So now, I go back to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest in us. So now it is clear throughout this scripture that John is talking to believers. He's talking to people who have been born again. And he's talking about cleaning sin out of our lives. This is a, was a very difficult concept for me to grasp in the early years of my Christian experience. I grew up, I, I found the Lord in the church and grew up my first years in a church that was very strict in holiness and legalism. Holiness and legalism are not the same thing, but sometimes people equate legalism with holiness. Not so, but that's the way I was taught it as I first grew up. And I won't go into all the things that involved. It doesn't matter, but it was a misconcept. I came to believe in my early days that you were saved, and if you did anything wrong, you were you had to start all over and get saved all over again. Because that's the way it was taught. That was, I don't know that they intended to teach it that way. That's the way they made us believe it, you know. So a young man gets saved, and next thing you know, his uh, his nephew and I were 
and somewhere together, and we saw him, and he saw his uncle going into a bowling alley. He said, oh, my God, he's already backslidden. He just got saved last Sunday. Let's see if we can get him back to Jesus. Well, thank God it isn't that way. But I'm going to share with you how it is and how I believe the Scripture says that it is. I also grew up in that church believing that sanctification was a second definite work of grace. Salvation is a definite work of grace. In that doctrine, sanctification was a second work of grace. I believe in sanctification. The Bible teaches sanctification. Sanctification is living holy, living separated life, and living holiness unto the Lord. That's scriptural, and it's godly. And it's important. But I was taught that sanctification was a second definite work of grace, and so when you received salvation, the next thing you want to do is get sanctified so you wouldn't sin anymore. And the difficulty with it was that they taught when you got sanctified that the Adamic nature, the old nature of Adam, which is the sin nature, was removed and you didn't have that anymore. Well, if that were true, then you couldn't sin anymore. And the Bible doesn't support that. My life didn't support it either. So I, I came to the conclusion... I needed to find a scriptural basis for what really is true. And I, and I searched this. And one of the primary reasons, I, I, I wouldn't even say this out in a lot of places, but one of the primary reasons I decided to leave that church and I minister in that church and move to the Assemblies of God was because of that teaching of sanctification. And, that, and it was a big thing. And I don't think that church teaches it as strongly now as they once did. I don't think they teach it the way they once did. It's probably the same thing in their doctrine, but I don't think they teach it the way that, that they once did. And I have no qualms with, uh, that, with that church, by the way. I, I did great, it gave me a great foundation. It did, uh, caused a lot of good things to come about in my life. And it was through that church that I came to Jesus. So I'm not making any complaints about it. I'm just saying that we're not always 100% right about anything and everything that we teach and we say. And we may not be right here. In everything, 100%, we may not be right in the assemblies of God 100%, but uh, if we were, then we'd be perfectly like God, and none of us have got to that place and probably never will until we get to glory. So having said that, we've got to move on with our lives. I remember hearing, uh, I'm laying a foundation here for what I'm going to tell you a little bit from these scriptures. I remember hearing Joyce Meyer teaching once, and she said, and I've heard her say this more than one time, when she first started a ministry, quote a ministry, she felt she was called to lead a Bible study, and she said she was leading her Bible study, and the first Bible study that she ever led, she said she, it was very casual. She sat in there, and she wore short shorts and puffed a cigarette while she was teaching. Now, how many of you would come tonight if that's what you were expecting to have up here? You wouldn't. But we grow. We grow and we develop. And, and that's what First John is about. It's about growing and developing and admitting where we are, having sin that's in our life cleaned out, and it doesn't all happen at the same time because sometimes we get it all taken care of. The next thing you know, we have stumbled, and now we got to get that taken care of. And sometimes the stumble is worse than the other time. So here's where we are right now. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the ESV. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now remember, this is being written to people who have already been saved. They're already children of God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And that one with another really means we have fellowship with him. He has fellowship with us. If we walk in the light, all the truth 
that we have that has been shed as light into our lives, we walk in all the truth that we have, then we have blessed fellowship with him and he with us. And, this is important, and while we have that fellowship, walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But why do we need to be cleansed from sin if we're already walking in all the light that we have? Because that's a condition for being cleansed of sins that we may not be fully aware of. I just spoke about the Bible teacher who was walking in all the light that she had at the time. So was she being judged by God for sin? I mean, I think for a woman to stand up in front of the church, even if you're not teaching in short shorts and coming down to the altar, maybe not really a good thing. <laughs> Especially got a cigarette on the way. <laughs> so so, I, so I'm, I'm saying to you that there may be things that are going on in a person's life who has come to Jesus and he doesn't know yet that it's a sin. It may also be true, stretching it though it may be, that that's true with some of us here tonight. It could be. And if that's the case, if you're walking in all the light that you have, all the understanding of God's Word that you have as of right now, and what God's put in your heart with understanding right now, you're in fellowship with Him, even though there may be some things in your life that still need to be cleaned up, moved out, sanctified, and restored and, and redeemed. If you're, however, if you're walking in all the light that you have, the cleansing blood of Jesus stays in effect. And those things are cleansed because you don't even know that they're there. You don't understand that they're there. I know that this is often taught in a different way, and I've, thought this, I've taught this for years, that, I, that there may be things that we're doing right now that are sin that we don't know about. Maybe not, not the same thing for every one of us. But let's just say it, let's say it was a sin. Take something strange. I mean, this is not, but this is a wild example. Let's say there's something in Coke Zero that if we knew about and understood it, it'd be a sin to drink it. Sorry, Lord, I'm guilty. I drank one today. But I don't know it is. Yet all that I do know, I'm practicing before the Lord. And if God shows me that, that I should quit that, I'm willing to do it. But he hasn't revealed that to me. He hasn't made me know that yet. And so what I don't know that I might still be doing that would be in the ultimate sense of holiness and serving God would be an offense to him that he'd rather I not do it. I don't have to hold on to it, but I don't know that I need to turn it loose yet. And so how does that happen? Did I, am I going to walk on with sin in my life? No. If I walk in all the light that I have, all the understanding of God's Word and His nature and Himself that I have, and I do all that I am knowing to do, God will cleanse the rest of it and reveal it to me step by step as I need to cleanse it out of my life. Somebody say amen and make me feel better. <laughs> so... So that's important for us to know. So if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we're walking with him in the light that we have. Then we have fellowship with one another, he with us and we with him. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, constantly cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
when we realize it and we confess it, oh, God, I didn't, I didn't realize it, but you're dealing with me about this. You want me to quit. You want me to give it up, or you want me to start it. Maybe this is a sin of omission, and we need something to do. Not something that we've committed, but something we've omitted. And God speaks to us about it. Then we're willing, because we're already walking all the light we have, to stay in the law of the light we have. We've got to accept what God tells us and shows us and make that change in our lives. So if we say we have no sin and we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've heard this tossed about quite a bit. I've heard this kind of a controversy. Some people say, we're all sinners. I prefer to say, we all are sinners saved by grace. And we're sinners in the constant development and growth and enlightenment that the Holy Spirit brings to us and constantly growing and changing things in our lives as we find the slightest displeasure that we, be bringing, that we may be bringing to God and give up that displeasure that we're bringing to Him and take in something that we know brings joy to His heart. So if we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and His truth is not in us. That's chapter 1. Now, my little children, still in the English Standard, the ESV. My little children, I am writing these things to you, you little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we don't want you to sin. I'm writing these things so you'll know and not sin. But if you do, so that means that it's it may be possible that some where along the line you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. And so what are you going to do, quit and give up and walk away from Jesus? No, no. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, somebody pleading our cause, making our case known before the Father. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hallelujah. He is the propitiation for all of our sins, the covering for a substitution for all of our sins, and not for ours only, but all for the sins of the whole world. So it's us, and then it's the world. He's made a provision for all the world and made a provision for Christians as we're growing in Him and developing in Him not to sin, but if we do and still keep faith in Him and trust in Him, His blood cleanses us from every sin. and the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. These are the things that I love when the Bible tells us how we know, how we know if we're saved. You know, the writer said, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There's a lot being said in about loving the brethren and the sisters. <laughs> the brothers and the sisters. So, that, so, 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 so John says, by this, we have, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's verse 3. And then he goes on to say, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Whoever keeps his word. What's the word of God we have to keep? Jesus said this again and again. By, Jesus made it clear that 
The way we know that we love God is because we keep His commandments. Now, does that mean we're going to keep them perfectly? Maybe not. The Apostle Paul said, when he was talking about this very thing of growing in Christ, he said, I have stri- I've been, I'm trying to reach the ultimate spirituality. I'm trying to reach the highest level of spirituality. But I, This is Philippians chapter 3. But I don't consider myself to attain to that. But I don't stop striving. This one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind. You've got to let things behind be in, in the, covered by the blood and give them up and turn them over to the, to the power of Jesus. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things that are before, that are still out there before me, I haven't attained yet. I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. None of us have attained it. So there are things that are going to happen. Maybe maybe small things. You know, this is what happens as you grow in Christ. The smaller things that you may have just passed over, not thought much about, become bigger as the bigger things are covered in the blood. There's something that didn't seem very important at all, maybe. Now that you're taking care of some other things, that thing didn't seem very important. becomes more important because you've already taken care of the other things. God doesn't. God cleanses us. When we come to him, he changes everything. When I came to Jesus and got up that night and walked my way home, I was, my, I was a changed person and I knew it. I couldn't explain it, never could have been able to describe it to anybody. All I could say was, I know that I'm different. I'm a changed person. Because Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if any one of us be in Christ, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then we started the journey. Then we started on our way. Why well, I failed so many times. I've had to ask God to forgive me so many times. I couldn't, even, I couldn't if I had kept up with him, it'd take, I started to say a car full. I don't know how many. It would take a bunch of journals to keep up with him. I'll put it that way. And with most of us who've been conscientious and deliberate about serving God, that's true with us. So sanctification, this sense, as we're talking about it here, as, as John explains, it, 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 it is an individual, progressive, and ongoing work that we hope will keep developing in our lives as we grow closer to God, as our understanding and perception about the light of God through His Word and the development of His Holy Spirit within us becomes more and more real, and we understand more and more, and we get closer and closer to Him daily, constantly, faithfully, get closer and closer to Him. If you aren't getting closer to God every day, you're you're not standing still for very long. You'll be sliding back the other direction. So whoever says, I know him, I'm, well, I'm a child of God. No, I don't, well, no, I don't keep his commandments. I don't, no, I don't do that. I'm not going to start naming things, but I could. I, I, yeah, I really do love God. I know I don't, no, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. I don't know, I can't think of many righteous things that I do. I know I love God, though. No, you don't. Not unless the Bible says it's true. <laughs> because the Bible says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's pretty strong. I know, I've heard some of you say, well, he, yeah, he, yeah, he, he. well, yeah, no, he didn't. Well, I can't think of anything that he good did but serving up. But he loved the Lord. I know he loved the Lord. But no, he didn't love the Lord. 
I, I wish I could agree with you and say he did or he did, he should. But anybody who loves God is going to show some evidence of that by at least endeavoring to keep the commandments of God, giving the, the word of God a high level of importance, trying to keep it, working to strive to match your life with the word of God. I don't want to challenge anybody. I'm not trying to make you uh, doubt your salvation. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that it's, it, don't doubt your salvation because you make a misstep. Turn it over to Jesus and step by step do everything you can to grow in him. But if you, if you deliberately and consciously decide, well, no, I, 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 I can't do that. And yeah, the word of God tells me to do it, but I can't do that. Then that's not the sign of somebody that loves God, according to what John said, according to what Jesus said, according to what the whole Bible says. Not the sign of everybody that loves God. So let's don't just turn up and say, well, yeah, he loves God. Let's don't use that to say, well, he loved God. Well, I know he literally loved the Lord. If a person living in sin, he doesn't love God. I've got somebody right now, part of my family, who would tell me right now. And I know his life is far from what God's word says a Christian's life ought to be. I know that. I don't know it about any of you, but I know it about him. And he can say he says he knows the Lord. He's got a relationship with God. But the Bible tells me he does not. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to condemn him. I wish it were true, but that, that could be true. But, but according to God's word, that can't be true. So if there's sin in our lives, we've got to get that sin out. And step by step, we'll get it out. If we follow him, we stay close to him. God's not trying to judge you. He's not trying to send you to hell. God wants you to go to heaven. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. That's why your salvation is real. That's why your experience with God is legitimate. You have an experience with God. I dare say, and I'm going to look around here and make sure I'm not telling an untruth as I say this. I know all of you do, I think. Some of you better than others. You're getting on dangerous ground now. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody here who, who, who hasn't started the journey with the Lord in salvation. Some of us are, have maybe progressed more than others. There may be some of you who far progressed far beyond where I am. But what we have to do is continue to do that. And when sin develops in our lives and we see sin and realize it, we've got to cover it. We've got to come in and cover, come to Jesus and let him cover it by his blood. And he will. That's what the Bible says. He will cover it. He will take care of it. You don't have to continue to live in it. You just have to be careful. I'm going to bring another thing to your, to your thoughts right now. There's degrees of sin. I don't want to get deeply into this, but the, every, every sin isn't the same. I know the Bible says if you broke the law at one point, you've broken all the law. That's because you're guilty before God. But you may not be guilty to the same degree. So when I say to, let, let's, just, let's just use this as an example. Jesus said, the commandment says not to commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Not the Ten Commandments are any more in, in, in effect now than any other commandments because grace has abrogated the law. So all I've said. But he said, and Jesus, when he was teaching on earth, he was under the law. So it, and, and, of course, it doesn't matter if there's a law against it or not. Adultery is wrong. You don't need a commandment to tell you that. You know that. You, so... So Jesus said, and this, he, so he raised the standard. You see, he raised, everything he did, he raised the standard and provided grace to live to the standard. It was, he said, 
I say to you that, any, of course, he said a man, and he could, I think any man he was using generic, he was saying anybody. So a man looks on a woman with lust in his heart, a woman looks on a man with lust in her heart, and there's lust there, they've already committed adultery in their heart. Now, some would say, well, and I've heard people say, well, you know, if you look, if you do that, you might as well go on out and commit adultery. It's the same thing. No, it's not. Of course it's not. How absurd can you get? It's not like that. It's not like if somebody can't wait for the Belk or the Dillard's or whoever else sells women's underwear, sends you a flyer to your home, and, and you know, you and, and, and they send it all the time, so you know, men, you know that a certain place in there, they're going to show the women's underwear section. Is that the first place you want to get to to start looking at and see how good it is, how much they've improved it? No. If you, in fact, if you go looking at it and researching, you're not checking to see how much they've improved it. You understand that, don't you? You don't have to say amen or raise your hand or anything. Just, just show you understand that. So I'm trying to tell you that there's a lot of things that we that there's a lot of things that we need to recognize in our lives as things that we ought to let allow Jesus to cover by His blood by walking in all the light that we have, and 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 taking ourselves. To the place that he wants to be. Let me go on. I'm still in chapter 2. Now down to 50. Uh, these are the verses I'm, I'm not speaking about. are not unimportant. They are. I recommend that you take your Bible and read uh, 1 John in, in the English Standard. Then read it in the Amplified Version. But again in the English Standard. In the 15th verse now of 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world. I've quoted this many, many times in this pulpit. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of life, of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now I'm going to read that in the Amplified Version as well. Because I think that that gives us something to think about. This is the way the Amplified puts it. Do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts. We're talking about the world. We're not talking about the, the earth, the globe. We're talking about the worldly philosophy and the worldly principles and the standards that the world lives by. What the world will tell you is true is not necessarily true according to God's word. And there's a lot of that out there. And you know it if you listen very much to what goes on in the world. And I'm sure you do. So do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. Nothing about the world is appealing to us. We're just travelers, pilgrims, sojourners here on our way to a different commonwealth of glory where our citizenship lies. We're, we're just temporary inhabitants of this earth passing through to another world. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh, the lust and longing of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, that is pretentious confidence in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its lust, the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings of the pursuits of the world. They are passing away, but the one who does the child of God, the servant of God, the man or woman of God, the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes will live forever. 
He that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. That's what the King James says. So children, we're coming to the last hour. We're coming to the time that, of, uh, we come to the final time of the separation of the sheep and the goats, you might say. I've heard a very prominent leader at this time. This is many years ago, a man for whom I had great respect. It was back in that church when I was telling you about what sanctification meant to them. And he stood up, and, now, and he was preaching and ministering, and he said, I got sanctified, and when I got sanctified, from that day to this day, I have never consciously committed a sin. I thought, man. You know, when I heard people preach like that in the old days, I thought, well, how can I get there? I'm not really quite sure. I think somebody could say that if they don't understand some things about what sin is. If you understand the, 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 the standard of God for sin, and, 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 and this epistle is very, very clear about it. Uh, if you understand what that standard of, 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 of life for sin is, when it says keeping all the commandments, and that's the standard that God has for us, and we may be on our way to reaching, we maybe haven't reached it yet. So my main thing to you to say tonight is, that while we live for God, we may be struggling with a number of different things. One has one, one has another, somebody else has something else. And there may be times that we stumble and fall. We make a mistake. And, and, and when we do, we have to follow the scriptural pattern to take care of that. You can't, you can't have an unforgiving spirit. There's a lot of words, there are a lot of words in here in 1 John about if he that hateth his brother and, and who he loves his brother. And, and when one loves his brother, in 1 John, the, the message about loving one's brother means to want the best and, and do the best you can to make sure that the, your brother has the very best, receives the very best, the best that you can give and provide, that you help to make that happen, that you want the very best for this person. It, 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 that hating one means not wanting that best for them. It doesn't mean that you overtly hate them and want to take out a contract and send somebody out to shoot them down. It, it, it means, though, if you don't love your brother so that you would put them before yourself. And that's a pretty tough standard to reach. You know it is. But that's what this Bible says. That's what John wrote that it is. That's what it means loving, the difference between loving and hating your brother or your fellow Christian. So it's important that we understand that, I think, because... Because those are things we struggle with, and I know, I know that there are people who have. It is the it is the it is the 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 burden of their life to try to forgive someone who's offended them. I, I tell you, and I think there are people who have those offenses who don't recognize that it is an offense that they've taken. They don't think that's what it is because they think so much of themselves, not loving their brother or sister. They hate so much of themselves. They don't recognize the offense that they have taken being offended towards somebody else and having an unforgiving spirit toward that person. You can't stay in offense if, you're, if you forgive. You see, when you forgive, that takes care of the offense. So if you, if you don't forgive, you've got, you got a high standard right there that you need to get over because that's not walking in obedience to the commands and precepts of God. You understand that? So this is the kind of thing he's talking about. It's not all, all obviously fleshly things. It's not all just about going out and drinking a can of beer. A lot of you may do that. I don't know if you do or you don't. Don't come and tell me. I don't care. I just care about you having an understanding about it. 
That's what I've accepted. And so, you know, I'm a teetotaler. And you say, well, show me that in the Bible, Pastor. I'm not sure I positively can show you that in the Bible. But I can show you that in the way the Holy Spirit has dealt with me. And, and I know a lot of people that don't agree with me on this. I've known preachers. I shouldn't even be saying that. <laughs> I don't want to discourage anybody. But I've known preachers who had a, I mean, Pentecostal preachers I'm talking about, who had uh, I say they had issues with alcohol. The way I saw them drink, I think they must have. And you know, I think that if you, I think you, you, you stop that and you give it up when you get to a level with Christ that you want to have the very best and closest you can be to Him. I'm not saying that having a glass of wine or a bottle of beer or even a drink of alcohol would 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 take you to hell. But if you keep on doing it, and you keep on doing it, and God deals with you about it, and you show the, he shows you the negativity of it, how it ought to change in your life, and you don't give it up and you don't change, that's another story. You understand what I'm saying? If you go on and on and on with it and never get it changed, and you know as you, every time you start, you know this is something I really ought not to do, but I'll just do it a little bit more, that's the time to get hold of it and get rid of it and come before Christ and ask for forgiveness for it. Uh, and the silence was doomed. Doom, doom. I, 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 I'm, I'm giving you a practical, a practical illustration of what I'm trying to say. I don't know what you do. Nobody's reported anybody to me about anything. Just be sure of that. I'm just talking about things that I've experienced and dealt with for the years of my ministry and life. And I've seen it, and I've seen it. And, I, and the more important thing, really, the more important thing that I was saying... It, the thing, things like an unforgiving spirit, being offended toward others, and because of that, not having a different feeling towards someone else. You don't really want to fellowship with them because they said something or did something or, or made you think that they did something. I could tell you stories of people right here in this church over and over and over and, and, and of just the very thing I'm talking about right now. But I will tell you this. An unforgiving spirit and failure to forgive and to hold grudges is contrary to the message of God's word for children of God. I preach it again and again and again in this place, and I'll never preach it too much because it never gets 100% healed in everybody. But you've got to take care of that if you're going to draw closer to God. You've got to. There's no other way to do it. So I was cognizant of the time that I knew it would take me to say what I wanted to say here. And... Uh, and uh, knowing that I, I couldn't cover all of this, I've just concentrated on the first and second chapters of uh, of First John. But but there's powerful there's there, there's there's powerful truth in all of this for you. And I'm going to go to one other one other place, and I and I think go to chapter three just to read you something from chapter three. Now remember that we have already established that this is being written to the children of God. So when he says we sin, he said that the, ch the children of God can't sin. The glorious thing about it is we're not, we don't dwell on that. We, we stumble, we fall, we make mistakes. Yes, and a mistake becomes sin. But then we take it to Jesus. He forgives us, and out of that we learn and grow stronger to develop in him. This is now the English standard again. It's in chapter 3 of 1 John, and this is the second verse. Beloved, 
I read this earlier. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's who I'm writing to, God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. We have this hope of Jesus coming again, rapturing us in the body of Christ. Then we purify ourselves as he is pure. We grow closer and closer to him and deal with the things that are sin in our lives. We ask God to help us. He gives us the strength. We turn it loose and we let it go. And then he goes on to say, well, let me just read this. I'll need to read the next verse. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, a practice of sinning, not commits a sin, but a practice of sinning and keeps on sinning. It's progressive. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who abides in him keeps on the same keeps on doing the same sin and never deals with it and never gets over. He helps us to deal with that. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let us no one deceive you. Whoever practice whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, the Lord, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning. He deals with it. He brings it to Jesus, knowing that Jesus' blood forgives. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Who does not love his brother. Now, I'm going to go back to the amplified version for the, for the next part of this, of this chapter. And uh, I may have lost my place right when I did that. Let me see if I find it again. And he who is born again cannot habitually, let me leave the last part of what I just read. He who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin. So the habit of going on and on, never dealing with it, never bringing it to the Lord and having it covered. Cannot, cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he is born of God and longs to please him. And so uh, John gives us the example of Cain murdering his brother Abel. Because Cain was not willing to deal with the righteous way and, he, and, and, and jealousy and hatred for his brother, he killed him. So, he, he, so he's illustrating the extreme of hating one's brother. But when he describes this as to say that, that, uh, uh, that, that let me read it this way, right out of uh, the Amplified Version of 1 John in chapter 3. And I love this part, this part of, this, of this epistle. Beloved, if our heart does not convict us of guilt and we have confidence, complete assurance and boldness before God, how can we have complete assurance and boldness? Because we've dealt with all the sin that we understand we need to get rid of. There may be some other things that will come up. We may fall again. Yes, Dad will do the same thing. We'll come back to the, to the cross of Jesus at the altar of God and we'll get forgiven and the blood will cover us and he'll take us on and we'll stay in fellowship with him. So if a heart does not convict us of guilt, we have confidence, complete assurance, and boldness before God, and we receive from Him 
whatever we ask because we carefully and consistently keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight, habitually seeking to follow his plan. But when we, do, when we follow his plan and we stay in accord with his plan habitually as a part of, stand a part of the development of our lives, we stand and, and we continue to do that, then that leads us into the next phase of understanding and greater understanding and development in him. It's a constant growing in Christ to live for him. A constant growing. Paul said to the Philippians, to the very latter part of his life, he had not yet attained that goal. But he wasn't going to stop striving for it. That's where we should be. We haven't attained it yet, but we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're going to love the brothers, love in the body of Christ, in the spirit of Christ. We're going to love the fellowship of God. We're going to do the right and live for God as God reveals and understands it and never, ever get to the point that we think we've learned it all and know it all and we've attained the place that we are able and able to judge others. Paul said he hadn't got to that place. I think if he'd said that on the day before he died, he would have said the same thing. But he would have said, I'm still striving, forgetting that's behind, reaching for that that's before. I press toward the mark. I'm not going to stop moving forward. So... That's just part of the message. It's probably all you want, <laughs> even though it's just a, it's really an abbreviation. I've gone to tell a little bit about chapter 3 of 1 John all together in, first, in chapters 1 and 2. And, I, and I'm going to ask you now, because I, I say this now seriously. This will be, this will be different from the, so, some of you from the way you've understood things. I, I'll sometimes give an altar service, and I have seen people, people who are, some who are not here now, some of you are, who I ask if you want to know that you're saved, will raise their hands. If I were to sit, stand and talk individually, personally to that individual, I would tell them why I am confident, maybe I'm more confident than they are, that they're saved. Because I know that because something has happened in your life that you realize should be different and should be changed and you should get it rid of it and get it cleansed. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. It means that you need to grow in Christ. And remember we all have to keep on growing. We don't get to the place to stop growing. We have to all keep on growing. Because our thought life, our spiritual life, is, is, is important in our relationship with God. If our thought life, if our, plan, if, our, if our minds are cleansed and holy before God, we can hear from the Holy Spirit and know what He says and understand what He says as He leads us and guides us in our lives. So, that's the message for tonight.